0: So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. We have a very special guest on today's episode to chat about recovering your period and fertility. Amy Gianotti is a dietitian from Melbourne and the Director of Eating Fit. She specializes in eating disorders, disordered eating, and has a special interest in helping people recover from hypothalamic amenorrhea, or loss of your period, after overcoming her own personal journey and struggles with this. In today's podcast, Amy and I talk about an important issue that so many women never stop to really think about. In the podcast, we start off by discussing what hypothalamic amenorrhea is and how it's diagnosed, what the long term health effects of HA are, and how it fits with Red S syndrome. We then talk about how HA is linked to fertility, how you can recover from it, how food and nutrition is crucial for recovery. We then discuss how long it takes, on average, for women to see their periods returning, and also what to do if you're on birth control and may not be aware that you've even lost your period. This episode is a must listen for all females, coaches, and those working in the space of women's health and weight loss. To learn more about Amy and her courses and coaching, head to her website, which is www.eatingfit.com.au, and follow her on Instagram, which is at Amy Lee Giannotti, or we'll listen to her podcast, which is Healthy Life Redefined just quickly please don't forget to subscribe to my own podcast because if you enjoy the episodes it means the world to me not only does it help you so that you never miss an episode but subscribing actually helps my podcast move up the ratings as well and it's free and a really easy way to support me for putting out these free episodes for you guys every week so thank you so much for pausing this podcast right now and taking just a second to subscribe I really appreciate it guys now let's dive straight into today's podcast with amy Welcome, Amy, to today's podcast. I'm very excited to chat to you all about recovering your period and fertility, a very important topic for women.
1: I'm honored to be a guest. So yeah, thank you so much for having me today.
0: Now, just for our listeners at home who uh, may not know what you do, can you share a little bit about your story and about your background and just the different things that you do on a day-to-day basis working as a sports dietitian?
1: Yeah, so I'm a dietitian and also trained as a sports dietitian, uh, also a personal trainer, yoga teacher, and I've also completed additional professional training in evidence-based therapies for eating disorder recovery, including acceptance commitment therapy, cognitive behavioural therapy, family-based treatment and intuitive eating. Um, Amazing. So now all my work is actually online, and I specialize in helping women to have a healthy relationship with food and body. And I have a very special interest in helping women to recover their periods, also known as hypothalamic amenorrhea. Let's just call it HA for majority of this conversation. That sounds good. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I have three levels in which I support my clients or the women that I work with. Um, I have a one-on-one coaching program, a small group coaching program, and I've recently launched an e-course. Uh so we have also recently moved homes and total areas. So if you don't find me at home um, in my new place in Hampton near the beach, um, you'll probably find me shopping, because I've been uh shopping a lot for house stuff. And given that I'm also 32 weeks pregnant, yeah. uh, you might find me in some baby shops as well. <laughs> so that's where you'll find me at the moment. Um about me, I think that was your second question. It's um, mm-hmm. a big question, but I'll, I'll do my best here. So uh, when I graduated from my master's of dietetics, I had already had experience running my own business as a personal trainer. So I decided to go straight into private practice and initially worked kind of 50-50 with nutrition and PT clients. And in the beginning, most people who came to see me wanted to pay me money Um, to help them with their weight loss goals. So this is kind of the area that I fell into and um, I suppose felt like that's what I was meant to do. But to be honest with you, this area never felt really fulfilling. It just felt like this was what I was meant to do as a dietitian, and, of course, I was getting paid. Um, And I did have clients who would lose weight following my recommendations and prescriptive meal plans. Um, But on reflection, I do realise that, you know, most either one – put the weight back on or two became very obsessive with their food and exercise so for example I'd get messages and emails from clients really worried about what they should eat on holidays or asking me to check the menus and things like that Uh, so it just it wasn't really feeling as rewarding as I maybe would have expected and you know a bit of background information you know I I thought I was doing all the right things for health and fitness. Um, I ate very clean, (laughs) exercised every day. Uh, At one stage, I also qualified for the Australian team for sprint distance, Olympic distance, duathlon, and half Ironman triathlon. (laughs) Um, But given, you know, the outlook or, you know, how the appearance, let's call it, and all the achievements, um, something never felt quite right, and that was... I wasn't getting a regular period, so I actually didn't have a period for seven years. Um, And, you know, through my journey, I got a lot of mixed messages from doctors, including specialist endocrinologists, gynecologists and fertility experts who some actually told me I'll never get my period back and just take HRT or take the pill to protect your bones and come back when you want to fall pregnant and, you know, we can look at IVF and ovulation induction. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be honest, part of me kind of did believe that maybe this is the way I'll have to go if I want to become a mum, but really, deep down, I recognised that I um, wasn't giving it 100% um, in that I felt that I could get my period back, even though these fertility specialists were saying I couldn't. But When I looked at what I actually needed to do to give it 100% or give it my all, Mm -hmm. um, it meant gaining weight, it means stopping exercise, it meant losing my fitness identity or who I thought I was. And it was really scary. Um, And that really highlighted to me that I had some kind of residual um, or leftover um, parts of some very early eating disorder behaviors as a teen so I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder but yeah on reflection definitely some unhealthy behaviors um but I think you know given me as a dietitian and all my uh, achievements in you know fitness and sport and actually being paid to you know do a lot of marketing material for um or you know paid for Uh, like by sporting brands and fitness brands and things like that as like the face of fitness or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, It was easily kind of masked. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was quite confusing. I was like very much applauded for everything that I did, but um, I also didn't feel right. Um, But anyway, fast forward um, down the track and I did decide to give it my all. Uh, It was definitely the hardest but most rewarding journey of my life. And these rewards go beyond physical. Um, you know, I no longer felt anxious around food, felt the need to exercise. I feel so much more connected and present with others. I found so much more clarity on my purpose and you know, really started to actually love and appreciate my body. And obviously, having gone through all of this, I recognized that there were so many others out there who too feel stuck, confused, and. Un- unsupported and you know I know what life is like on the other side and so now I've become very very dedicated to helping women through this very life-changing and transformational journey and now I'm in a place where I love my job and I'm so confident that I'm actually making a difference um, to women's lives and these women were just like me like I'm kind of like the person that I wish I had around (laughs) you know many years ago and um now yeah I am 32 weeks pregnant um and that's after, yeah, seven years, no period, and thinking that I would maybe never become a mum. And, yeah, I was, there was this huge barrier of just not wanting to let go of my fitness identity, not wanting to gain weight, and um, to feeling like I couldn't not exercise. So there were the big barriers, and I do recognize that a lot of women um, are also stuck in that position. So there's a, yeah, it's a huge story there, but hopefully (laughs) it gives you an (laughs) all-rounder.
0: Definitely. And I'm going to bring it right back to basics for our listeners. I'm going to chat about exactly what HA is and go right back from the beginning. But I guess Mm -hmm. something that you kept bringing up was more like your fitness identity. And I think one of the big reasons I really wanted to get you on this podcast was A, because of your you know expertise in this area, but also because you've lived it and you've breathed it and you've gone through it. And you know, I've seen photos on your Instagram where back in your you know competing days when you were a really high level triathlete and that sort of thing, people would look at that picture of you and think that you know maybe you're the picture of health. Like you had an absolute mm-hmm. rig. Like you looked at you, you were super ripped. You had the six pack. You were you know like you just look like you were a high level professional athlete. And and people would look at that and just think that's the picture of health. And so many women I get messages from daily saying you know I want a six pack. I want to be able To achieve that. But I just don't feel like a lot of people understand some of the risks that go with that level of leanness. But I think that we see it so often on Instagram that having a six pack is something that we've just associated with being healthy. And so I think it's really important to get you on this podcast to discuss that level of leanness and the impacts that it can have, particularly on the female body. Because, you know, for males to get le- that lean, it, it's a lot easier and they don't sort of have some of those hormonal impacts that some females might have. So I'd love to start with the basics and talk about exactly what, and for lack of, um, oh, for ease of understanding, I'm going to call it HA as well and let you really break that down for our listeners um, and and sort of explain exactly what that is
1: yeah no worries so ha um, is a type of secondary amenorrhea um, so this means you've had a first period um, but then it's kind of gone missing um, so the period has gone missing for greater than three months or three cycles um, and the underlying cause of ha is stress so this is mainly from low energy availability so when your body feels unsafe um, and that energy is not available um, to simplify it it just simps it Switches into energy conservation mode. So, like an iPhone does when the um, power is low, it goes to like low battery mode. Um, Here, some of the apps are switched off or some of the functions are dialed down, like screen brightness. That is very much like HA, in that with HA, one of the apps that is shut down is um, your menstrual cycle and fertility. Mm -hmm. Um, So, when we Talk about um, diagnosis. Um, the diagnosis is a diagnosis of exclusion. Um, so if you see a doctor, you'll likely need to complete a huge bunch of tests. Um, usually, they're trying to exclude pregnancy, polycystic ovary syndrome, um, or problems with the pituitary gland. Um, so blood tests, urine tests, pelvic ultrasounds. So they're likely internal, the fun ones, <laughs> and even a brain MRI are common practices. So it can be very time And you know, financially invasive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but to be honest with you, with my experience myself and with the many women that I've worked with, just hearing their story and learning more about their relationship with food, body, and exercise gives me a much faster picture. (laughs) You know, if you've got no period and you know, you're you don't trust your body, you've been dieting, you've maybe lost a significant amount of weight, or you do a lot of exercise and you feel a need to exercise. You don't allow much rest. Um, All these kind of things are just big red signs for me. Mm -hmm.
0: Definitely. And would you recommend that it's important for um, people to actually go to the doctor and get some of these, what we would call like red flags ruled out? Because I know a lot of, I talk a lot about IBS on the podcast and it's important to not just, you know, as dietitians to be like, oh, it sounds like you've got IBS, but to actually go and get things like celiac disease ruled out. Would you say it's important to go and get things like PCOS and that sort of thing ruled out properly? Or do you think working one-on-one with a dietitian um, in, in general cases would be enough?
1: Uh, I think at least a blood test would be really, you know, you want to work with the, you want to get some blood tests to see what your hormones are doing. So that can be easy. Um, So getting your sex hormones, so looking at like luteinizing hormone, follicle-stimulating hormone, estrogen, and then you can also look at um like the androgens to help find some information about polycystic ovary syndrome. You know, maybe you could do a pelvic ultrasound if you want, you know, but then if you're going to add on that, Brain MRIs and then you know the dexes and it can be a lot of in then doing the Provera challenge. There can be a lot of extra tests that I feel you don't need to do, but it's going to depend on the on the person really. If they want all the boxes ticked, and I know for me, I I wanted another answer. Like I didn't want to have HA. I didn't want the didn't want the solution or the treatment to be weight gain and stopping exercise. I was kind of hoping there would be some other reason, and it might just be some. Little pill or little surgery I need, or some other answer. But um, yeah, the answer was was simple, but it was still mentally hard. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then what follows? I guess a diagnosis of HJ. So obviously, we're talking about working one-on-one with a, with a specialist, such as a sports dietitian, in accommodation with your mm-hmm. doctor. What would be the next steps for someone after um, you know they got that diagnosis of HJ?
1: Yeah. So if you came and worked with me um, with HA, I see there is three aims of treatment. Um, So number one, we need to correct the energy deficit. Number two, we need sufficient body fat. And number three, we need to reduce the stress on the body. So mainly from this high volume and high intensity exercise. So, you know, looking at these separately, um, obviously everyone's energy requirements are going to be different. Um, So obviously with my dietetic background, I can help them with that. Um, And then with sufficient body fat, um, I've got some guidelines that I use. So at least 20% body fat is a guide or a number that a lot of research would agree on that um, most women need to have a regular menstrual cycle. So that research is agreed upon with anorexia recovery and return of the menstrual cycle in athletes um, and even primary amenorrhea. Sometimes they need actually a little bit more body fat, actually more like 22 to 23% body fat for that first menstrual cycle. But Around twenty percent is good guide. So if someone's got, you know, ten percent, then I know that hey, even if you do correct the energy deficit and you just, you know, you're sedentary, Mm -hmm. we still need that third part. Um, And then, you know, if someone does have sufficient body fat, but is eating restrictively, then, you know, or they're still in that energy deficit, then they're not going to get their period back. And same as if maybe they are eating enough, they do have enough body fat, but maybe they're Um, exercise is just too much for them and there's not enough rest and that could be their main stress. But for a lot of my clients, it's it's at least two of them or sometimes three, Mm -hmm. yeah. And for our
0: listeners at home, what are, I guess probably because a lot of people listening at home probably thinking this doesn't really apply to me, which I'm sure it does apply mm. to a lot of women out there, but maybe they might know of somebody who, you know, does a lot of exercise and doesn't really eat that much food and is, is constantly sort of stressed and under fueling and over exercising. So I'm sure that we all know of someone or somebody will come to mind. So I feel like this is such an important topic for everybody to be aware mm. of and across, but what are some of the long-term effects of HA? Like just a lot of people will think, oh, I don't have my period. That's okay because it's quite inconvenient, particularly young women. Mm. So I really want to get across to our listeners at home what an important condition this is, particularly some of the longer term health effects of HA.
1: Yeah, so the big one is infertility. So if someone is not having a menstrual cycle, they're not ovulating, so they're infertile. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, brittle bones. So Um, you know, because of the low energy availability and the lack of estrogen. So estrogen is like a transport vehicle of calcium into the bones. So there's going to be a reduced bone mineral density, which can lead to osteopenia and osteoporosis, so increasing our risk of fractures, which is really common um, with some of the women. Um, Heart function can also be affected. And mental health and quality of life for me are the real kind of big ones and you know that gets Mm -hmm. into their relationship with food and their social health because there's a lot of social withdrawal because of fear foods and needing to exercise and yeah that's just opens up a big area there
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I imagine even things like I mean you don't have to be obviously um, have very levels of leanness or low body fat to have HA but I guess a lot Mm -hmm. of people do but even just those feelings of like extreme coldness and irritability and those sorts of things when we think about you know other sort of um, types of eating disorders and that sort of thing I'm sure they come into play in terms
1: of some symptoms as well don't they? Yeah so you know if we look at The bigger picture, and I think we're going to kind of talk about this soon when we look at REDS Mm -hmm. or relative energy deficiency in sports, Mm so HA fits in with REDS for females. So as I gave that analogy of an iPhone um, on low power mode and HA being like one of those apps shutting down, so in REDS there are other functions that are shut down or dialed down to conserve energy. So again, the underlying cause is low energy availability um, and this is from underfueling and or overexercise, um, and in some cases, um, which is more rare, underfueling can be unintentional. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to have HA or RED, you do not have to have diagnosed eating disorder. You do not have to be an athlete or do extreme amounts of exercise, or you don't even have to be underweight. So just going back to those other apps that are shut down or dialed down. Um, some common ones would be like digestion, temperature regulation, libido, all those kind of things. So it's kind of like your body is stuck in energy conservation mode and it's not working optimally. It's, everything's on yeah, low power mode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you mentioned something that I think was really important to go back on and address is that sometimes the underfueling is unintentional. And I imagine mm. for a lot of high level athletes, like I meet so many women who train twice a day like why? Like I don't. I don't really think that any female needs to train twice a day, unless perhaps you are like a professional athlete or something mm. like that. But I meet many people who will do like two f forty five sessions a day or something like that. And I think that a lot of people think that they feel like they eat enough food, but when they look at their energy requirements, like they're getting in ten thousand steps a day plus two exercise sessions, like that's a lot of over exercising. And to sort of keep up with or eat up to your energy requirements can be um, can be harder for some people because the more exercise you do, the, the more your appetite drops down. You just don't. Feel feel that hunger so as you mentioned like a lot of people may unintentionally underfuel because they're doing such huge volumes of exercise that they just never really feel hungry and they can kind of never catch up with how much energy their body actually needs
1: yeah 100 so for that recreational kind of athlete who loves the f45 maybe does two a day and then that let's call it a, a professional athlete who might have you know double sessions per day so you've got a lot of factors that can impact energy availability or meeting one's energy requirements so number one there is that blunting of appetite post exercise so mm-hmm. um, especially more intense exercise so we might you know physically or we do need obviously fuel um, after our training or around our training especially post training to support a speedy recovery but there is that blunting of appetite um, and then with athletes who are you know training multiple times a day maybe they're working or they're out at You know, a place that they don't have much access to food, then that food availability might be hard. Or if they've got a a track session coming up, they might think, oh, I don't want to eat that sandwich just before that because of all the fiber and I'll feel uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. that might not be coming from a place of trying to lose weight. It's more coming from a, I don't want to feel uncomfortable or that's going to affect my performance. So there's some places where It can be non intentional. And other places where it can be non intentional is if someone is really stressed. So, for a lot of people, stress can blunt appetite. Um, If you're sick, you know, um, when you're sick, you lose a bit of an appetite as well. And obviously, that can affect energy availability. So, yeah, there's some common ones. But obviously, the people that I work with, um, it is more coming from their relationship with food and a bit of um, not trusting. Their body, but um, you know, if we look into their history and why they started dieting, sometimes this unintentional weight loss in the beginning can be a bit of a um, fuel to the fire. So they might have lost weight unintentionally and then got praised, and then you know, this like, oh, I need to keep it off now.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, with the red S that we talked about as well, um, I think it's important to mention that males can actually develop that as well. And that's why they changed the name from the female athlete triad syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, How does sort of the HA component fit with red S syndrome? Or what are like the big sort of differences between them?
1: Um, So HA fits within. So Mm -hmm. like I said before, HA is like one of the apps that is switched off. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the functions of the body that is um, trying to conserve energy, Um, but then there's Other functions of the body so with red s the underlying cause is low energy availability and it switches off or dials down um functions in the body one of the functions is fertility um period and all that kind of stuff wonderful hopefully that makes sense yeah Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) i just thought it'd be great to recap for our listeners at home because it is i guess quite a complex topic to get your head around and even i must admit i have to actually actively think about Mm. Even just what you're saying as well to make that all make sense in my mind as well. So it's really good to um to hear it from you and sort of see how they all fit together. But I just wanted to touch back on how HA links with fertility as well. Because it's not as easy as saying to somebody, okay, you've now been diagnosed with HA, eat more and you'll get your period back. Which I feel like for so many young people, they're like, well, I'm only, I don't know, maybe like 18, 20, 22. I don't want to have kids yet. I'll deal with that later in the future. Mm. But my question for you would be, does the longer that you have HA for I guess affect fertility more or make it harder to bring that fertility back and bring that period back. The longer it kind of goes on,
1: uh, I'm going to say not really. Um, okay, you know I've helped women to get their period back within three months who haven't had a period for 14 years. Wow! So it's about it goes back to those three aims of treatment. Number one, correcting the energy balance. Yeah. Number two, sufficient body fat. Number three, reducing the stress on the body. So. Obviously, it depends on the individual, their readiness of change, their ability to eat more to overcome those food rules, and their ability to reduce the exercise or do more supportive exercise for HA. So, not high intensity, high volume exercise. Mm-hmm. And then, if I have got someone who is severely underweight, you know, like 10% body fat or something, then it's going to take them longer to get their period back because it's likely they're going to need at least 20% body fat to recover. And I say mm-hmm. that as a guide. You know, some people need a bit more, some people are a bit more sensitive and so on, but it's a good guideline. And when I talk about percentage body fat, um, I would be wanting information from a DEXA scan. So mm-hmm. in bodies are not as accurate. And sometimes they can actually um, underestimate true body fat. But, yeah, so a DEXA scan is what I'm referring to, not some scales that you just quickly jumped on.
0: Yeah, definitely one of the more gold standards when it comes to measuring body yeah. composition. -hmm. Wonderful. Now, I'd love to know how I guess um, specific foods and nutrition components support the recovery of HA. So, obviously, you need to eat more to help to increase your body fat and give your body enough fuel. Mm -hmm. But is there anything, I guess, specifically food or nutrition wise that you would really focus on with your women? I'm thinking more like um, healthy fats and that sort of thing, or or it doesn't really matter where I guess the mix of calories come from?
1: Um, Yeah, good question. So, overall, it's about energy availability. So, food is the fuel and the treatment for Mm -hmm. HA. Um, so only with sufficient energy availability will the body perceive it is safe enough to start switching back on those energy-demanding body functions. Um, but when I work with my clients, I do start with a, let's call it a um, nutrition rehabilitation phase. or mm-hmm. um, a, And this is actually coined by um, Evelyn Triboli when she, in her um, intuitive eating course where she explains it explains this concept working with people with eating disorders. So um, you can't just say, listen to your body and, um, you know, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full and it will come back because Mm -hmm. for a lot of people I have worked with or I work with, there is some disordered eating and they can't just jump straight into intuitive eating. So I help them in the beginning and I am always have the intent or the goal to transform or to to, – move into an intuitive eater but in the beginning this nutrition rehabilitation phase is kind of like a cast on a broken arm so it's not meant to be there forever Mm -hmm. it's just support in the beginning but then we start to you know build in the permission to eat all foods and the attunement with the body so they're both key to be an intuitive eater but initially we need to um, support them nutrition wise so obviously sufficient energy is actually going to help with their cognition and reasoning. Um, So in terms of nutrition, we want um, enough energy. We want regular meals and snacks, so regular energy and carbohydrate availability. If I break it down to a really flexible meal plan, even though I hate that name meal plan, Mm -hmm. it might be like three main meals and three snacks a day. Mm It would be carbohydrates at least all main meals. It'll be at least three serves of healthy fats a day. And when I talk about serves of healthy fats, it's like a tablespoon of olive oil or a quarter to a half an avocado depending on the size or mm-hmm. a handful of nuts or a heap tablespoon of peanut butter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the energy is important, carbohydrate availability and the regular intake of carbohydrates is important and so are the fats. So fats are important to, you know, create these hormones that we need mm-hmm. or hormones that are these, you know, messages in our body. Wonderful.
0: And how long would you say on average does it take for, I mean, nobody's really average, but the average woman to sort of gain back and recover her period?
1: Yeah, good question. It can take, in my experience, between one and six months, but it's not often six months. Um, My clients who are able to tick those three boxes sooner, obviously will recover faster. Um, Mm -hmm. So someone who is really underweight, like I said before, with maybe only 10% body fat, then this is going to take a bit more time to increase those healthy fat stores mm-hmm. and obviously it's going to depend on their readiness but I have seemed to I have seemed to had great success with the women that I've worked with to make these changes or overcome these fears quite quickly I think because I understand them um, I've done a lot of training in, in the area of eating disorders and um yeah, it the hardest part is not the physical part, it's the mental barriers. And once we can overcome those mental barriers and um change their readiness and overcome those fears, then it's it all becomes very easy. Like the first step is just seeking help, really. Or the hardest step mm-hmm. is yeah, seeking help and committing to getting your period back. Sure. So most of my clients that I've worked with have got their period back within three months. Um, and just this year I've helped recover, well, helped 14 women fourteen women recover their period and some of them haven't had their period for, for like I said, 14 years. And um, I've helped four women to conceive naturally as well, so four pregnant women. <laughs> so that makes me really, yeah, it makes me really proud because it's, um, yeah, I was once exactly where they were, so mm-hmm. that's. Feels very aligned with my purpose. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I can imagine, um, obviously, wanting to have children, that sort of thing, motivation would be very high. What if you're yeah. someone who, um, and I'm thinking here like very young. So I've just started um, sort of, I guess, building a little bit of a following on TikTok, sort of jumped onto that app to sort of spread some good, healthy messages among, you know, a lot younger um, people, I guess. But I didn't actually realize when I started on the app how young the population was there. And I get a lot of messages from, I'm talking like 12, 13, 15 year old girls who, Initially had their period and now have lost it again. So, what would be your advice if there are some very young girls at home listening um, who might be too scared to go to their doctor, who who might be too scared to, I guess, talk with their parents around this? What would be your advice? Because there's a lot of, um, I guess, push for you know having abs as a teenager and that sort of thing. Like they mm-hmm. get so focused on body and physical appearance at a young age, and they feel a lot of pressure, particularly because of social media, and they see a lot of influences. And I think it's they think that it's a normal to walk around and have a six pack all day. Yeah. So for those younger people listening at home who feel a lot of that pressure and who may have, um, you know, their period may have stopped. What sort of advice might you have for them listening at home, um, you know, who aren't sort of within that older age group and super motivated to have children, et cetera?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a lot of education required and myth busting. So a mm. lot of people will look at these fitness models who have got these really defined abs, and say that they want to be like them and they look healthy, they might be on the magazines or on Instagram. But um, you know, to have abs, you're gonna be like most people, you know, to have abs, I'm gonna say you're gonna to have to have twenty less than twenty percent body fat. Mm. Um, or to have those really visible abs for most people. So mm-hmm. um understanding that abs does not equal healthy. And um, you know, if you do have less than twenty percent body fat, then you're unlikely to have a regular menstrual cycle. And then, of course, they're not going to worry about becoming pregnant straight away, a lot of the young ones. But, um, you know, it it depends on the individual and what is important to them. So some of my clients are really motivated by sport and want to be able to, um, you know, be active for the rest of their life. Or, you know, one young athlete I've got, she was on a scholarship um, for lacrosse and, you know, she was, you know, obviously very um wrapped up in this fitness identity and she's always been um praised for all of her um fitness abilities and and, and so on, but she actually was diagnosed with osteopenia. So mm. that was a um motivator for her to um when she was on the holiday break to work with me and to get her period back and it was very hard because she was used to training twice a day and eating very, you know, minimal. Um, But she was able to, in her holidays, actually recover a period and now we're slowly working back to increasing the exercise and just monitoring her cycle so we're not um, doing things too quickly. So, yeah, the bone thing can be a good underlying motivator for some people Um, but I really – you look at their relationship with food as well and how that affects many areas of their life. So they might, you know, feel like that they can't eat out with friends or, um, you know, the guilt that they feel around eating or the, the need to exercise and how that affects their social life or their sleep. So just looking at the big picture and how that's affecting their life and if that's what they want to be like the rest of their life or you know what does a happy and healthy life like for you healthy life look like for you mm-hmm. and asking them to describe what is a healthy relationship with food and what is a healthy relationship with exercise so sometimes that can start um some light bulb Kind of moments.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the bone um, bone health is incredibly important because I have, well have seen you know um, very very young people diagnosed with um, you know who've got constant fractures and that sort of thing from over exercising and under fueling. And you know you don't really want to hit your twenties and and be diagnosed with osteopenia or anything like that. So I think that really mm-hmm. is a good um, I guess motivator for some of the more younger listeners who might be listening at home.
1: And another another quick thing I wanted to say is mm. this is another way I help motivate my clients is you're not going to be performing your best when your body is stuck in energy conservation mode. Mm-hmm. So you might be, you know, running far and, you know, pretty good at your sport, but your body is not working at it's optimal. So if you allow the body to recover and to get out of that energy conservation mode, then your body is going to be able to work optimally. After some rest and um, allowing your body to heal, you will be able to run faster, you know, do all those things. So a lot of my clients who have now recovered their periods have actually achieved PBs mm-hmm. in their um sport, like especially runners. A lot of them are runners. So they have yeah. got PBs in their five Ks or their 21 K. Um for me I didn't get straight back into running but um I was always trying to do muscle ups <laughs> and after recovery with like no you know big rest from training and hardly doing anything, I was able to do sets of three strict ring muscle ups and I was like wow (laughs) like I'm heavier now I was actually heavier because I needed to put on weight I was very um, underweight yeah, your performance increases.
0: Mm, couldn't agree more. And I used to, um, a good friend of mine, one of my housemates I used to live with, she um, still runs marathons. And there was a period of time where she was training for the marathon for six months. And I just watched her get tinier and tinier and tinier. And she would sleep all day. She'd come home from Mm. work at 5 p.m. and sleep for two hours and have a nap, then get up and go run for 20 Ks. And I just remember saying to her, like, you're not going to perform your best unless you actually get some good nutrition on board. Mm. And that meant for actually, she lost six kilos in her prep and she was tiny to begin with in her prep for getting ready for this marathon and the biggest thing for her is that she just never felt hungry she would run so far for so long that she'd come home and be completely exhausted and just go straight to bed so we just did really simple things and got her blending up her food and drinking smoothies regularly throughout the day to mm. get those extra calories in and um the next marathon she actually ran she ran a, a pb and and she was actually heavier yeah than she'd ever been as well but just utilizing some of that really good fuel on board so
1: yeah yeah some awesome stories it's harder for women with ha because like i said there's other functions of the body are Uh, often affected so their digestion is more sluggish and you know Mm -hmm. the typical person with ha loves vegetables or the safe food but if they're eating a lot of those foods um they're going to get to that early satiety so looking at ways that you can um get that energy in without making so much work on the digestive system so like you did with the smoothies is It's awesome.
0: (laughs) Awesome. And again, for our listeners at home, um, I think a a big sign of, I guess, HA recovery would obviously be getting your period back. But what about women um, or younger people who might be on birth control? You know, They're not looking to have children immediately. What would you say would be some positive signs of recovery um, from HA if they didn't have their period to go by?
1: Yeah. First of all, the birth control will definitely mask um, HA symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I need to say really clearly that the pill is not going to protect your bones Mm -hmm. um, at all and some GPs are a bit late to get up to date with that (laughs) science. Um, So the pill produces a withdrawal bleed. It's not a real period because you don't ovulate, um, so you're not releasing that egg. Um, So if you are concerned that you might have HA, um, then I would recommend going off the pill for at least three months to see if you get get your period back. But Some other signs um, would be, you know, frequent illness, slow recovery from exercise, feeling really cold all the time because remember your body doesn't want to waste too much energy at being this perfect body temperature. You're generally running on the low side and often a lot of these women have low body fat percentages as well. Mm -hmm. Digestion function can be affected, a low libido, feeling tired all the time. A lot of my clients wake up in the middle of the night, need to go to the toilet at 3 o'clock, you know, from the – that's just hormone related. And yeah, there's some things, but mm-hmm. a, a simple question is asking, how would you rate your relationship with food? And if it's not 10 or it's, you know, on the low side, if it's like four or three, you know, then, hey, that's a big red sign. Mm-hmm. You know, why? Why is it three and not a 10? Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like I can't eat these foods because I'll get fat or, um, you know, that's, that could be a good question to ask our listeners on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your relationship with food? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And I think
0: you touched on, again, a really important point, Um, you know, constant illness and constant injury. They're probably two really big flags that something is going on. Like Mm -hmm. you're either putting too much exercise in or you're, you're under fueling a little bit, because I do meet a lot of people who are constantly injured or they're constantly sick. And so I think, you know, that's not the way the human body is really supposed to function. So I think they're probably two things to really stop and have a look at sort of your lifestyle and the things that you're doing and ask yourself some some important questions. Yeah. Now, um I think another important topic to touch on because I feel like a lot of people at home would be like, well, I'm I'm not lean or use that level of leanness or being, you know, super thin or something as an indicator of HA, but you can definitely um, be a normal weight or even overweight and have HA, can't you?
1: 100% and that just goes back to what we we're talking about before because the underlying cause is low energy availability. So, yeah. I don't use BMI, but a lot of people know what I'm talking about when I use BMI. So if you had a BMI of 30 and then you did some fitness challenge and you were on a reduced energy diet, so you were, you know, on a whatever calorie diet or just Mm -hmm. cutting out foods or intermittent fasting or whatever it was and you were eating less than your energy needs plus you were maybe exercising as well, um, you might lose a bit of weight and still be, you know, in a – healthy or even overweight of the BMI, but that low energy availability has been the stress on your body and it reacts or it um it responds by um switching to energy conservation mode. So mm-hmm. it's still a stress on your body. So you don't need to be there's no weight criteria for HA. Um you don't need to do a certain amount of exercise. So you can even get HA you you do a very minimal amount of exercise. It could just be from the restrictive eating. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to have a diagnosed eating disorder, and that's what can be really frustrating for many women who go to seek help because they might not have a period. And sometimes, or well not sometimes, quite often people are misdiagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome. And I know that I know that's a whole new topic, but they do share some similarities. So mm-hmm. with PCOS, um, to meet that, well, with PCOS, it is another diagnosis of exclusion Mm -hmm. um, but you need to have two of the three criteria so the three are number one irregular period (laughs) so that's Mm -hmm. where the ha can fit in number two is polycystic ovaries and people with ha can also have polycystic looking ovaries as well and number three is high androgens um so male sex hormones so unfortunately some women who go in there who um, maybe a bigger body size and say that they haven't got their period can be misdiagnosed with PCOS and they're completely different issues or don't don't want to call them issues but HA is 100% treatable whereas PCOS is about managing the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really clear to really important to get clear on that diagnosis and that's why It can be really important to work with a dietitian, especially, you know, like myself, who specializes in this area because understanding that person's story and their relationship with food and exercise and their history is so important because when you go to the GP, they don't, you know, probably ask all those questions about your relationship with food and have you, you know, how much exercise are you doing? You know, it's a bit of a, sometimes a five or 10 minute consultation. Mm-hmm, exactly,
0: and even um, what you might feel your relationship with food is—you might think, "Oh, that's fine," or "That's normal," or you know, the people around me, like I'm on a sporting scholarship and I'm at college, and everybody eats this way. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean it's normal. That doesn't mean that it's the right way for your body as well. So I think again, working with someone like an expert like yourself, who is able to decide what is normal, what isn't normal, versus um, comparing yourself to, I guess, the people around you and that sort of thing—is is important to note as well, because a GP might ask you, um, "Do you eat enough?" You know, and yeah. that's sort of like a like a loaded question, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I eat heaps. And yeah. another um, <laughs> really good question, because I use some evidence-based questionnaires in my, um, you know, when I'm working with my clients, but just for our listeners, uh, a really good question could be, do you trust your body to tell you what to eat? Do you trust your body to tell you when to eat? Mm-hmm. And do you trust your body to tell you how much to eat? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you don't, <laughs> then why not? <laughs> yeah. So that can be... And then another one would be, you know, do you have guilt after eating certain foods? That there can be another, you know, a red sign there. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Because you know, if someone is ignoring their body, you know, from di- following diet diet rules or external rules, then they're not going to be very intuitive with their body, and they're going to put themselves at a higher risk of. Losing their period.
0: Mm, Definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've seen, um, I guess, so many more clients with the rise of social media and the whole, and I hate this word, but the whole clean eating sort of, Mm. you know phase and I feel like we've taken healthy eating just a couple of steps too far like mm-hmm. so many people are so obsessed with you know I get things all the time I will put a glass of wine up on my stories or I'll be like having some cake today and people are like oh my god it's got gluten and dairy in it you're a dietitian, how can you eat that like it's so inflammatory and I just feel like we've sort of lost touch with what is a healthy relationship with food and we just like to vilify foods or call them good and bad and and that sort of thing so I feel like you're probably seeing more and more women with um HA and more disordered mm. eating just due to the rise of social media and what some people may consider healthy versus what is
1: actually healthy as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I said this from the beginning that the lens that I look through when it comes to healthy and healthy eating or a healthy diet is so different. And I think your relationship with food is so much more important than any diet. If you have a good relationship with food, you're going to be intuitive with your body. You'll eat when you're hungry. You'll eat carbs if you need carbs you'll you know um but yeah and yeah same with me i've had obviously you know working with people with ha and the treatment is energy really Mm -hmm. energy availability Mm -hmm. and i think i had a picture of having a milo and you know got slammed for suggesting to have milo because of the fructose or whatever it was in it and yeah failing to see the big picture is what I would say. So there's no one-size-fits-all healthy food. It depends on the individual and the situation. So, you know, for someone who has cancer, is in hospital with no appetite, who is hypermetabolic, very, you know, with high energy requirements and, yeah, no appetite because of the disease or illness Mm -hmm. itself and the treatment, then giving them a salad for lunch is not Mm health-supporting. They're giving them, you know, some... Uh, really energy-dense meal, you know, um, like a or if they can mm. with chips and stuff would be good and maybe some custard for dessert would be more health-supporting than a salad because, you know, every mouthful counts for that person. Mm. So and it's – you can kind of – that can cross over with HA, you know. <laughs> that energy availability is very important.
0: Couldn't agree more. Yeah, when I used to work at the hospital and I did a lot of work, um, you know, we did a lot of work diagnosing malnutrition, obviously, particularly in the elderly population. And mm-hmm. some of those little ones who'd come in and break their hip, you know, would weigh 28, 30 kilos. Yeah. And we'd be giving them like sustenance for morning tea or ice cream and their family members would come in and say, you know, <laughs> mum's diabetic, they can't eat that. But it's like there's nothing left of mum. Like, <laughs> like sugar is not going to – it's not harmful here. It, it's actually – going to be more beneficial, but I think that we've just lost sight of, you know, what is healthy versus what are, I guess, the things that certain people need while they have different conditions and their body has huge energy requirements. Sugar is actually one of the easiest way to get calories into someone if they just don't feel like eating or can't eat anything. So I really think that as you mentioned, like keeping sight of the bigger picture here and what are the overall goals rather than vilifying particular foods and saying, I can't have sugar, I can't have gluten, I can't have dairy, rather looking at um, what is the big picture here. And if the big picture is energy availability, how do we get that in or how do we get some extra energy or extra calories in to help recover Mm -hmm. from something like KJ or an eating disorder or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's been so lovely having you on, Amy, and having this really important conversation because I just feel like it's just not really talked about. So I really would encourage my followers to to give you a follow and, and to tag their friends or maybe not in such a direct way if they think their friends may be suffering from this, but at least just have those conversations with your friends, with your families, with your loved ones. If you do feel like you have loved ones who are under fueling and over exercising and who are constantly sick and who are constantly injured, um, or at least point them in the direction of this podcast um, and Amy's wonderful social media pages as well. So can you tell our listeners at home um, a little bit more about the courses that you offer, the coaching and where they can find you on social media as well and where they might be able to book in with an appointment? If they wish to.
1: Yeah, great. Um, So in terms of services, so I offer a one-on-one coaching program, a small group coaching program and an e-course. Given my stage of pregnancy, I'm not (laughs) taking new clients until October, but um, my e-course has everything that I've learned in my own personal journey with HA from all I've learned through the additional professional training and eating disorder recovery, behavior change, intuitive eating, yoga, and of course, all I've learned from helping other women too. Um my e-course is pretty much, you know, my proven framework in a more affordable and self-paced format. Mm-hmm. Um and I know that there are so many people out there feeling stuck, unsupported and confused, and knowing I could only help so many people through my one-on-one and small groups um and going on to maternity leave soon, I really wanted to make sure that I could still serve these people. Um so the e-course is not a meal plan. <laughs> it is a journey. It is called um, Recover Your Period and Rediscover Intuitive Eating. Um, so it's not just about the physical recovery, it's about digging out the roots of what got you to ignoring your body in the first place. Um, in my program, we cover beliefs, intuitive eating, body image, body appreciation. I provide you know a nutrition rehabilitation phase, so kind of like that flexible meal plan for the beginning <laughs> mm-hmm. and also support women post-recovery and also for those who want to um, become a mum so want to cons- want to conceive um, and we also have a Facebook group which is an amazing and supportive community for women following along my framework you know, doing the exercises and the challenges and a place to share all of that plus any questions that they have um, and then in terms of my social media so it's a bit of a mouthful but it's Amy Lee Gianotti maybe you can put that on the show notes and then my Definitely. website is au, and I've also got a podcast as well called Healthy Life Redefined <laughs> obviously because my healthy life has been redefined
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love it, um, so I'll definitely link all of that in our show notes as well and obviously um, as you're about to go off on maternity leave, you're not sort of taking any sort of new clients, so the best um, I guess way for people to work with you at the moment would be your equals, is that right? For the next couple of months anyway?
1: Yeah, so if it was be- just before October then they can book in mm-hmm. so they can still... Um, because those spots are going to go pretty quickly. So if they are interested, then, yeah, maybe book a spot. But I think definitely in the meantime, you know, I wouldn't want you to wait until October right now, given it's, what are we? Um, Mid-June. June. June. (laughs) June. So I would say definitely get started on the e-course. And then if you haven't got your period back by then, which I think you will, then I'll be around in October.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. All right, Amy. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. um, And to have you talking about these really important topics as well. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) And we'll catch you guys in the very next podcast.